morning. Uh, my name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'd just like to welcome you guys. I, I, I'm not going to go too long, but just as an extra little plug for the Praise Team fundraiser next week, um, some of you may or may not have noticed, but if you look at this right here, so let me explain what's going on here. This is our wonderful projector that's been around for the 10 years of Cornerstone. This is a, uh, uh, a st- uh, power strip because the leg is broken and we actually can't keep it from staying there. And this is not a projector stand. This is a monitor that is upside down. Um, we make it work and it's all, you know, it still looks good, right? And um, it all works. But uh, next week, or yeah, next week when we do the Pracing Fundraiser, I hope that you guys don't think, oh, like here's another plug for my money. But you're contributing to what all of you are receiving from. Um, and yeah, thank God that we have all this equipment that is worth lots of money. Um, but uh, the praise team has been working really hard at not just figuring out, oh, what would be the cool things that we, w- we could get and would make everything so much easier for us, but simply just repairs that would help us or them serve you better. Uh, so I just want to add that extra little plug. Um, but anyways, are you all excited to be here? Yes. Yeah? Are you excited to be at church? Yes. Yes, thank you. Can I get an air high five? Thank you. Balcony, you're, you're struggling. I can see all of your faces. I know who you are. People always think that we can't see you. I see all of you individuals face to face, so don't fall asleep, okay? Um, you know, there's something so powerful about when the people of God sing hallelujah. It's one simple word, meaning praise the Lord. I don't know if you guys felt, uh, I don't know, fuzzy or like some deep connection with God, but I think when the people who are created in God's image, start doing exactly what we were created to do, singing hallelujah and living out that and singing it, breathing it, letting that kind of pulsate from our hearts. It's, it's, the reason why we feel a connection with God is because you're doing exactly what you were meant to do. And I think there's so much power and just an awesomeness in when the people of God connect our voices unity in unity, singing hallelujah. And um, yeah, I, I think... The praise team for leading us in that time was awesome. Um, But anyway, so if you've been with us, we've been trudging through the book of Genesis. We started on New Year's, uh, the first, or New Year's Sunday, and uh, we're almost done. We have three more weeks left. And before we go into the specific text that we're going to be talking about today, I want to give a little bit of background on where we're headed. So last week, Pastor Dan preached about Jacob. And so we have the three major biblical patriarchs, right? We have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what we're going to get into for the rest of Genesis is a story about his son, Joseph. So Jacob, his, uh, he has 12 sons, Joseph being the second youngest of the 12. And this is how the, the nation and the tribe, the people of Israel come about. So Jacob, it, God makes a covenant with him. He changes his name to Israel. And then all of his sons, their name are the name, names of the tribe. So you have all the, t- the 12 tribes of Israel. And Joseph is the one who Moses is going to focus on in the last third of Genesis. So there's 50 chapters in Genesis. There's, all, there's one or two to each biblical figure, but Joseph actually gets 13 chapters devoted to him. So this week, uh, I'm going to be doing him. Uh, next week, Dan, Pastor Dan and the following week, Pastor Hojan, we're all going to be preaching on Joseph in this long story about his life. And before we get into the text, where we're at right now is that Joseph is a young boy, and he's his dad's favorite. 
So all of his brothers are jealous, and he has these dreams that you, you, you may have read about in the scriptures. I urge you guys to go read about it. He has these dreams where his brothers and his, and his parents bow down to him, and he's just arrogant and sharing the story. And so his brothers have this real legitimate hatred for him. And he's 17 years old, and one day his dad, sent jo- Jacob, or his name is now Israel, sends him out and says, Joseph, go to your brothers who are out in the field working. So Joseph goes, and as he's approaching, his brother, brothers see him from afar and say, let's kill him. They hate him that much. One of the brothers, Reuben, has compassion. He says, no, wait, wait, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a ditch. So they end up doing that. And before Reuben gets back to save Joseph and pull him out secretly, which was his plan, Another brother, brother, Judah, says, hey, look at, there's, there's Ishmaelites coming across the road. They're on their way to Egypt. Let's sell him, and let's actually make some money off of our brother. So what happens to Joseph in his young age is he makes his family really upset. His brothers are just bitter, jealous, that, it, that, it's, that their dad loves him more than them. He, they hate the fact that he's sharing all these visions that he's getting, that they would, in fact, bow down to their younger, arrogant brother. And they were planning on murdering him, But somewhere in God's sovereignty, he leads him to being sold into slavery instead. So this is where our story begins. Joseph is sold into slavery, and he's on his way to Egypt. So this is Genesis 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I am, Nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you're his wife. How then then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in in, in the house, she caught him by the garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lift up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the the king's prisoners were confined, and, and he was there in prison. 
But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so we have this long narrative of Joseph. And chapter 39 is revolving around Joseph's experience with his master's wife. So his master's name is Potiphar, and all we know about her, not her first name, but simply that she's his wife. And so the story is famously called and understood to be Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Now, I just want to talk about one simple thing that we can garner from this text. There are many things, but the one thing I want to focus on is actually wisdom. Now, we've heard this text preached, I'm sure, many times. If you've grown up in the church, you've heard it. And usually, it's kind of the, 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 the top text that's used to be the guide of how to avoid temptation, right? And in a lot of ways, it is. And I'm going to also be talking about that as well. But whenever we're just talking about the outward emotion or outward actions, we lose the importance of not what so much as what's on the outside, but what's on the inside that's forcing the outward actions to occur. So what I want to do is I want to say, yes, we, we, we are going to talk about temptation. We are going to learn about it. But I want to take a step back and talk about how God's presence and being with Joseph kind of matures and grows him into a God-fearing man who in the face of temptation is able to make wise decisions. Proverbs 1.7 says, The beginning of all wisdom is the fear of the Lord, is fear of God. And I want to say that this text shows us a lot about the way that Joseph is a God-fearing man, again, who is then and therefore able to make wise, God-fearing decisions, even in the face of horrible temptation. So let's look at the text. Let's dive in. So verse 2 starts as saying, The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. Verse 3, Even that his master saw that the Lord was with him. At the end of this text that we just read, the same thing. He gets thrown into prison. The prison guard sees that God is with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. He made everything in his hands succeed. This is going to be a thread that you will see in the next three weeks in our sermons and all 13 chapters of Joseph's life. Because his, if, you, if you know anything about his story, if you don't, go read it. But if you know... His life is so chaotic. It is up and down, left and right, topsy-turvy. He's, he's doing well and being lifted up into high places, and then he's being thrown into the bottom, and it's back and forth, this chaotic life. But the one thread that continues to be consistent in Joseph's life is that God is with him. We will see that thread being run through his entire story, and that presence of God with him, again, giving him that God-fearing wisdom and the strength to obey. So let's look at this exact uh, instance and what is exactly is uh, this experience that he fights with. So Moses writes in verse 6, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he's put everything he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So so Potiphar's wife, the ESV says, lie with me, but she's basically saying, hey, have sex with me right now. And Joseph resists. And what is his reason? In the bottom, right there in verse 9, he says, "Uh, how then can I do this great wickedness 
and sin against God. So in this first instance, Joseph, he, in the face of temptation, says no. And it's not simply, oh, no, no, I don't want to do bad things. I don't want to get into trouble. I don't want to get fired. I don't want to get thrown to jail. His response is, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, if that was the end of the story, Joseph wins one battle, one victory, it wouldn't really be that impressive, right? Any of us can stand up to the face of temptation and say, no, I'm not going to do that one time, right? It's not really that impressive. But if we pay attention to each and every verse and really picking apart this text, we see that a lot more goes on, doesn't it? In verse 10, look at this up here. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. So it's not just this one instance, but Moses uses this language in the Hebrew day after day to basically, he doesn't put the specifics of 20 more times, but basically saying that continuously Potiphar's wife is going after him, saying, lie with me, sleep with me, have sex with me, cheat on my husband with me, right? Day after day, and Joseph, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Now, when I'm thinking about this, like, I'm thinking about Potiphar's wife, I'm like, either she's super horny, right? Like, Potiphar's just not doing it, right? Like, he just doesn't cut it. Or Joseph's really that hot because Moses writes, Joseph was, uh, 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 not husband, handsome and in and, and, and form and appearance or some sort of combination of the both. So she's going after him, like, over and over and over. So in my head, I'm like, dude, Potiphar's wife, straight up S word, right? She is a... She, she's a sinner, right? Like, <laughs> such a sinner. Now, what? She's a sinner, right? So she's going after them. And in this model, we see that Joseph, he doesn't refuse temptation once, but day after day. Now, this is something for us to learn from, right? What does it mean for the people of God to, without uh, any compromise, to be continuously fighting temptation. And it's not only that. His wisdom, okay, we're going to recap a little bit. He fights temptation once, not just once, but day after day, time after time. The second thing, and this is also in two parts, Joseph leaves no room for compromise. Look at the end of this verse again right here. Uh, Moses writes that he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. So in this, Moses is implying that She's not an idiot, right? She doesn't just say, hey, do you want to have sex with me? And just leaves it at that. She realizes after X amount of days that he's not going to do it. So she starts figuring out, oh, what can I get him to do? In what ways can I get him to, like, just be in the same room? And I'll just talk to him. You know, she could have easily said, oh, no, 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 listen. Like, that's what I said before, but I just want you to just hang out with me. Or, hey, just give me a massage. Or go get me my food and my dinner, and I want you to... She could have... She basically is, like... Creating any way to get Joseph to budge, even in the slightest, and he doesn't budge at all. Moses writes that, again, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. He won't do anything. And even in, the, in a more severe sense, Joseph leaves no room to compromise in the famous part of the passage. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was, in, was there in the house... She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled 
and got out of the house. So Potiphar's wife, she's had it, and she grabs him, and she's being violent now, saying, hey, lie with me now. And his first instinct is to run, to flee. If we look at this word fled in the Hebrew right there, uh, if you look at the ancient Near East texts, you find that this specific word is most often used in military language. And this brings up an imagery in which, so two nations are fighting, they're battling, right? One nation wins, and then, you know, a lot of their, their soldiers are, you know, are dead on the battlefield, and the, the remaining, they need to get the heck out of there, because if they get caught, they're about to be beheaded and killed as well. So this word, flee, the specific one that Moses chooses to use, is, is, is eliciting this imagery of people who lost the battle, and they're about to get slaughtered, and they're running for their lives. Because if they get caught, they're going to die. And so I look at this, and in the English, we lose a little bit about that. But now that we know what word that is, we look at this and to say, she grabs him, and he left his garment in her hand, and fled, and got out of the house. So Joseph is running as if someone's about to kill him. He doesn't think twice. He doesn't just kind of back up and say, whoa, 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 I'm uncomfortable with this. He gets out. And what I love about this example that Joseph gives us in the face of temptation isn't just his resistance, but his refusal to compromise, even in the slightest bit. So again, let's recap. What do we learn from Joseph's character? His God-fearing character and the wisdom that he approaches in this situation. He resists. He resists again and again and again. He leaves no room for compromise. Because he's not even going to, he, yeah, he's one, it's, it's obvious he's not going to have sex with her, but he's not even going to be in the same room with her. And two, when she finally, like when push comes to shove, his first instinct is to flee like a man who's about to get murdered. Now, Joseph's example is something that we all really need to learn from, isn't it? It's, it's sad to say that Falling to sexual temptation and sexual sin, it's not just common in the church today, but it's rampant. It's rampant in culture, in media, in, in the world, in secular living, but it's almost not very different here. I, I, I'm not going to say that it's 100%, and if for those of you who don't, I'm still, I still think it's really high. I wouldn't be surprised if it's 90 95%. But many of us, if not all, we struggle to fight sexual temptation. And I'm, ju- I'm talking about all of it. I'm talking about anything that goes against God's design for human sexuality. I believe, and we believe that the scripture teaches that human sexuality is meant to be worshipful. That when you have consensual sex in marriage, in a godly marriage with man and woman, that you're being pleasured, but God is too. Kind of weird to think about it that way, right? But that's what I believe. That God takes delight in the love and in, in sex in marriage. So I'm talking about everything that goes against that. Whether it be pornography, sleeping around, like the premarital sex, pushing boundaries and dating, impure thoughts even, your mind and sinning with our heads, our brains. Homosexuality is a sin that's very, you know, it's just a hot topic nowadays. Lusting, all these things that are under this umbrella it's, it's, it's here. And that's something that we can't just scurry away or fight from or hide under the rug, but something that we have to confront and fight for. The reason why I bring this up is because we all know how hard it is to fight against that. 
and we know how destructive it is. Sexual sin, human sexuality that has strayed from God's intention, it wrecks people's lives, doesn't it? On the whole ends of the spectrum. On the one end, doesn't it make you feel really distant from God? That's light, right? But not really. That's horrible. On the other end, and everything in between, on the other end, there's sex, like, you know, sex trafficking, sex slavery for, for women and little girls. And everything in between, it is horrific. It's ruining lives. And I hate to say that it would ever be ruining the church. Now, what I want to urge us this morning is that just like Joseph, the people of God need to be instilled with this uh, re-dedication and energy to fleeing, to leaving no room for compromise in the area of sexual temptation. Again, for some of you, that's not your thing. Maybe it's lying, cheating, stealing, whatever. Uh, Greed, you know, your temptation is to buy all this worthless stuff and you're a horrible steward of your money. I don't know what it is. Whatever it is for you, but I'm just going to be using this as a kind of all-encompassing term. And the reason why, again, I bring this up is not to, let's like to have this wave of guilt just washed over this entire room. You horrible people. That's not the point. What I love about this text and what Joseph shows us an example is one point. Well, it's kind of 1A, 1B, 1A, 1B. One is that we need to flee. We need to run like people who are about to die. We're about to leave. We have to be people who leave no room for compromise. And one B is not that we're just running away from sin, but rather that we're running to Jesus. We're running to something better. You've heard me say it all the time, that our faith is not an avoidance, merely an avoidance of sin, but rather a striving after something that is so much more satisfying than the false lies that sex and sin in sex lies and teaches you. Whether it's sex or anything else, the moment that we fail is when we start making our faith and our following Jesus a relationship with the avoidance of sin versus a relationship with walking with the Lord. Sometimes they accomplish the same thing, but they are vastly different, and your heart will be vastly different, won't it? It's extremely different. Because what I want from you, church, people whom I love and who I know you're struggling with this, I don't want to just say, hey, stop it. But what I want to say is yearn and hunger after Christ. And my prayer, and I hope your prayer for yourself and your prayer for the people sitting next to you, is that you will, the amount of false satisfaction, pleasure, and fulfillment that you think you'll find in sex will be absolutely blown to pieces in what you find as your reward and satisfaction when you are intimate with Christ Jesus. I want this church to be praying so fervently that we're literally crushing this whole monstrous abomination of sex and sin. You, you know, like, I was thinking about this. I'm, I'm a weirdo. Um, I, I was thinking, in my, <laughs> I, I was like, if God let me write extra things in the Bible, if he said, hey, I give you permission, I would have written, I wrote this down. Uh, 
And Joe, okay, so what I'm, t- I'm getting this imagery, so I'm in my computer, I'm like, mm, we're going to freaking crush it, like, we're going to kill it, we're going to freaking destroy sexual sin as a church together, hand in hand, I love you, you love me, we're going to pray together, we're going to work through this, and I'm getting amped up in front of my computer at my house, and I'm thinking, I wish that what Joseph did, and what Moses wrote was, and then Joseph drop-kicked Potiphar's wife in the face and then fled. <laughs> I'm serious. That's what I wish happened. That Joseph drop-kicked her in the face and then went and said, I don't need none of this because I love the Lord. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm serious. You know, I don't know how many times I can, I'm ever going to say this again in, in sermons. It's going to be, you're going to hear it all the time. Friends, how many times have you had victory by saying, no, that's bad? You will find victory when you look at Jesus and you say, that is so much better. You know, I've been going home pretty often uh, to my parents' house to spend time with my parents. And I've been going downstairs to the basement and into my old room and just looking at all my old stuff, which is all crap now, right? (laughs) Like, I've been going down. Some of you, when you go home for vacation, you go to your old room or whatever, and all your stuff is there, um, whether untouched or in boxes, and... I, I, it's funny because I look at all this stuff collecting dust and I remember how excited I was to get it at the first time. Have you all seen the Nintendo 64 video on YouTube, that kid flipping out? No? You have to watch it. Go on YouTube and just type in Nintendo 64. It's this kid, he's in his pajamas, he's opening up a box of presents at Christmas, he's like, Nintendo 64! And he's like clawing at it and screaming. It's really funny, I don't know. Anyways, um... <laughs> So, because I think about that because I remember when I got Nintendo 64, I was like the happiest kid in the world. I would spend hours on it, like the joystick thing started getting all the powder on the inside because he used it so much. Like, my parents were yelling at me. If, if anybody told me to stop playing, I would get legitimately angry. Now when I think about that, it's a, it's a stupid piece of plastic that's collecting dust, and I could easily just toss it in the trash. If you were to tell me to throw away my Nintendo 64 when I was a kid, I would hate you. Right now, I'd be like, oh, actually, that's, so, that's a good idea. It's just, you know, I just need to get rid of this. And, and you know, I, I walked to my, to my room, and I used to have a hat thing where I, wanted every, where I wanted a Red Sox hat in every possible color known to man. And these things are like $30, right? So if I add them all up, it's like a few hundred dollars worth of stupid hats. And I remember how into hats I was, and now I don't give a crap about them. I just need one Red Sox hat. That's it. And clothes, how many clothes you've thrown away. And think about it. Think of what's in your room or even in your house right now that is meaningless to you. But when you got it, you were like, oh my God, my favorite shirt, my favorite purse, my favorite boots, my favorite video game and computer, my, my like compact with two gigabytes, you know, like I was awesome back then. What is it, right, that you loved so much and you, you used it all the time, it was your favorite, and now it's just like, ah, oh, it's crap. If you want to, this is a book plug. There's a book called Religious Affections by Jonathan Edwards. And it's very difficult. So don't think it's like, I don't know, reading like Chronicles of Narnia. It's hard, um, but it's awesome. So read it. And in a nutshell, Edwards, so he says it beautifully. So don't take my words or the way that I'm, I'm just going to put it in layman's terms in a nutshell. Edwards talks about our hearts as things that, God created us in which our hearts and our affections, they latch onto something, and they always will. 
There will never be a time in our life when our hearts and our affections aren't holding on and latching on to something. Forever. And it's not simply that your heart decides to let go, but your heart lets go in order to grab a hold of something else. When I think about it that way, and I think about Nintendo 64, that became worthless because Xbox, and then PS4, and, you know, all this, you know, the new fashions, it was bell-bottoms, and now it's skinny jeans, right? And, like, it's, everything's changing, and there's always something better, And it's not necessarily that the things in the past got that much worse. Did fashion, did the fabric of your clothes change? No. It just, someone's telling you that it's better, you see it to be better, and your heart lets go of the past fashion and grabs a hold of the new one. And that's what you want so badly to shell out hundreds of dollars for. This whole idea of not just avoiding sin, but wanting, desiring, yearning after more of Christ in your life is the same. The reason why we lose the battle with sex and whatever temptations is because our hearts have latched on to the lies of what pleasure it'll give you. And the church will find victory when we see Christ Jesus in his glory and when we let go and latch onto him. Where are your heart's affections, church? Pray that you would see clearly, crystal, crystal clear, who Christ Jesus is. Let that be your prayer. Whatever it is that you fight against. It doesn't have to be sex. It could be anything. Pray it. Say, Jesus, won't you help me to see you for the treasure that you truly are that I might then put all of my affections and they'll be found in you. And once that happens, when your heart lets go of all the world and latches on to the gospel, to the good news, to your Savior, then you will find victory in ways that you never believed that you could. You know, one of the things that I'd like to say, you know how this text keeps saying, Moses keeps writing, and the Lord was with Joseph? The Lord is with you. Don't think that you've lost because you failed a bunch of times. God is with you. I'm going to invite Pastor Dan to come up. And we're going to close um, in, a, in a slightly different way. Um, I asked him to prepare just a really quick song. Um, can we just sing it twice through? Uh, and this is the way that we're going to end. It's a really simple song from many, many years ago. And y'all don't have to stand up. You don't sing along with us. Um, we're just going to use this as our final exhortation to you, to bless you, church. So from myself, from Pastor Dan, our prayer and kind of just even just presenting and singing this over you as the final exhortation before we close is to say, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, that all the things of the world will start growing dim, meaningless, unimportant. All the things that you want and you desire, you'll find that it's crap. What good is lots of money? If you're going to die tomorrow, it's nothing. What good is fame and fortune or pleasures and physical, whatever. All these things, my prayer is that when you look full in the face of Christ, that all the earthly things would be seen for what they really are. Nothing. In the light of His glory and grace. So I'm going to ask Pastor Dan to go ahead and sing this for us a couple times. And I want you to receive.
Just no different than I would say, hey, let's go and do this, church. I'm asking you to be blessed by our brother right here. Receive this good word. My prayer for all of us is this awesome song, right? My prayer is not that, not that it would only be ours for you, but you for yourself and you for one another. The reason why we meet together in the church is because we are the people, the community of God, right? We are family. You are brothers and sisters, even if you don't know the person's name who's sitting next to you, if you are in Christ. And together, let us look upon Joseph's example of how his, he was such a God-fearing man that in the, in the face of temptation, he was able to, with wisdom, say, how can I sin against God? And he left no room for compromise. And that is a, an example for us to look up to and probably... Maybe we'll, it'll take us forever to get there. That's fine. But my hope isn't that you'll get better at not sinning so much, but that you would be dwelling in the fullness of an intimate walk with your Savior. That's the goal, friends. Christianity is about how to get to Jesus, not how to get crystal or clean. So that's our prayer. And let's fight in that together. Be encouraged. Do not be run over with guilt because God is with you and we are with you as well. Pray with me. God, we want to see your son for what he really is. We boldly approach your throne, God, and say, show us more of Jesus. It is our sin, God, our flesh, the world, um, so many distractions that, that really cloud our eyes. It's like we're wearing sunglasses on top of sunglasses, Lord. And won't you just strip them all away and help us to see clearly who Jesus is, what he's about, what he did, what he preached, how he lived, what his death and resurrection means to me. Lord, give us that sight. God, there is no such thing as a person seeing Jesus in his fullness and choosing the world. 
It's just that we don't really see clearly. But would your Holy Spirit minister to us that we might even just a little bit more see him in the fullness of his glory and that the world would grow dim? Oh Lord, that the world would grow dim and that the people of God would delight in you. Lord, we confess that we've sought delight in so much wrong. We've sought delight in the world. We've sought delight in sin. But we know that it lies to us every time. And you are the only truth. You are the only thing that's faithful. You are the only thing that when we have expectations, you don't fail us, but you blow them apart You show us that you are so much better than we even comprehend, than we can think. And so, Father, I pray for this church, for these people, for every individual person who's sitting in this room, that whatever it is that keeps them from you, oh God, that you would open up their eyes to see a little bit clearly of who Christ Jesus is, what he means to us, what kind of treasure he is, and that we would fervently yearn after him, oh God. Lord, I pray for emboldenment, that your Holy Spirit would give your sons and daughters boldness. That even with all of their baggage, they would still be able to come boldly because of Christ and his cross. That we wouldn't say, oh, I'm unworthy. That we wouldn't have our heads down. But proudly we would stand in Jesus. Recognizing that we have nothing. We have no place. We have uh, no right. We have no merit to stand tall. But because of Christ and what he has done for us, we can live in him and in the fullness of joy. God, you truly are the supreme pleasure, the supreme joy, the supreme gift. And we want you and we pray that you would fill us more. So gracious God, take delight in the small offerings that we can give. Take delight in these small, uh, these short songs that we can sing, in this short time of worship that we can give. But I pray that you would take pleasure in the whole life of your people as we strive to walk with you, to glorify and to honor you a little bit more. Thank you for being with us, O God. Thank you that we can, even in our sin, raise our hands, sing hallelujah, our God reigns forever and ever all our days. We take joy in being able to sing that out, and it's because your Son has made a way for us that we can do it. So be with us. Transform our hearts. Again, we plead, we plead with you, O God, that you would help us to see you more. And that we would take deep, 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 deep satisfaction in you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.